Hi everyone. How is everyone? Okay? Good. Does anyone know what the score is in the tennis? I'm very impressed with you all, particularly at Jim and Jackie, um, who have been around in the church for quite a while, because they're ardent tennis fans, so I think they've got it on record at the moment, and they don't want to know what the score is before the end, so... uh, Good. My name's uh, Paul. I'm uh, one of the uh, leaders here at King's Church Hastings, and I lead the team. Um, uh, This week we were, as as a team, at prayer and fasting up in Peterborough, and we had had an excellent time together. It was very, very good. We go away for two days, and uh, as the name suggests, there's an awful lot of prayer, um, and not a lot of food. A little bit, but not, but, but not a lot. And it was just absolutely brilliant, gathering together with about six or 700 um, pastors from across the churches in New Frontiers um, in, a, in a brilliant venue. And we had an opportunity just to pray about lots of different things that are going on. Praying about church planting. I think there are about 40 churches um, who are designated church plants at the moment um, in New Frontiers in the UK. Uh, we've got about 220 sort of fully-fledged churches with elders and all that sort of uh, stuff in place. And it's great to hear what God is doing right across the nation, as well as praying for India as well. We spent good time praying for India and for God's blessing on that mighty nation. And we played for, prayed for New Day. Have we got anyone who's going to be going to New Day this year? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> there must be more people going to New Day than that. Anyone going to New Day? Yes. Good, that's right. Still the same sort of numbers, but they just shouted a bit louder, I think. But no, it's good. So we prayed for New Day, a significant event for our teenagers um, uh, in August of this year. And I think the dates are slightly later than they normally would be. So mums and dads, if you're thinking of planning family holidays, check the dates for New Day before you do it, so you don't cause any disappointment or family strife. If you find you double book. It was a great time away. Um, A number of you have also asked me um, over the last few weeks about the Games event that we were running last year. We ran it nine times um, throughout last year, a monthly event, which was great for inviting friends and visitors to. After a bit of discussion and prayer at the end of last year, we felt it was right not to continue that at the moment in the season we're in. I want to thank um, any of you that served faithfully on it because it was a very good event and we saw many visitors coming. But just over this next season, we feel that it's right to step back from that. And we sort of keep reconsidering um, as we go through the rest of the year. This morning, I'm going to continue our Encourage series. We're on week four, which means we're halfway through, because it's a seven-week series. And uh, I've got the privilege, which I think I gave myself, actually. But anyway, I've got the privilege um, of talking about money and possessions this morning. Did any of you know I was going to be talking about money and possessions this morning? Hands in the air. A few of you did. Excellent. Many of you didn't. I think I find, when I'm listening to preaches, talks about money and possessions the most difficult ones to listen to. I find often that with other preaches, and you know, I don't want to give away my secrets, with other preaches I can sometimes just sort of mull them over and think, yeah, no, that's good. I must do something about that. And sometimes I can leave it at that point. But when it comes to money and possessions, I often feel that the Holy Spirit is much more precise in his dealings with me. And I find that as the preach goes on, I can often sort of become a bit more shifting in my seat, maybe not quite so um, comfortable in it. It can be quite challenging. And so... I just want you to relax. Enjoy yourself this morning. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and do his work. Because ultimately, as we preach week by week, our aim is to communicate what the Bible says. And so we're going to look at lots of different passages. And my heart is that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word open before us, God would do his work in us individually. Because that's the great thing with the Holy Spirit, because he knows where we're all at. We know what's, he knows what's going on in our lives, and he knows how to take this passage here and make it live to us. And so that's my prayer this morning as we get stuck into it. So actually, why, why don't I actually, why don't I pray now rather than a little bit later, and then, uh, then we'll see where we go. 
Lord, I thank you for being with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and fill us afresh. Lord, I pray, would you particularly fill me to be able to speak with a real clarity and boldness and communicate effectively what your word says about money and possessions. And I pray for every person here that they would have receptive hearts to hear your voice and follow your promptings and your direction. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage we're going to be looking at is Acts chapter 4. And it's a passage we've visited already um, earlier in the series. We're going to be looking at um, Barnabas and his generosity. But we're also, because it's all linked together, we're also going to look at an, a, a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. Because actually their account, their story, comes on directly on the back of Barnabas's. And it's interesting because I think Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wanted to contrast the two. Within just a few short verses, there is an excellent example of generosity and giving. And then just a few verses later, there's quite a big warning to do with money and possessions as well. So we're going we're gonna to have a look at that. Let me read a quote out to you. Jesus Christ said more about money than, than about any other single thing because when it comes to man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. It's a challenging, challenging subject. The editor of the Bible, so that's God, devoted twice as much space to talk about money and possessions as he did faith and prayer combined. Twice as much space. And 15% of the recorded words of Jesus are written about money and possessions. 15%. That's quite a lot, isn't it? Of what we, we read, Jesus said, was in connection with money and possessions. Let's read Acts chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 31 because I want you to get the whole context that this passage is in. You're going to see that this, this was a season of great blessing for the church. So Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There, was no one need, no, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with, with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. 
just as I was reading it, I thought, what an interesting church meeting to go to. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Great fear seized the church. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And I think I'll finish, I'll I'll leave it there. We see within this passage, it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? There's There's a judgment from God... And I think, you know, if we thought about it for any amount of time, none of us would want to be around. We see amazing generosity with possessions and wealth. We see the apostles preaching with great authority. Many people responding to the message and the church growing. We see signs and wonders and miracles. The bit that I didn't read out talks about there was such great power in that early church that people were bringing people out on mats. So they would be healed as the church went, you know, as the apostles went past. It was, it was an amazing time to live. It was an amazing time to be about. And yet with all of that going on, great fear in the church. And, it, and it's funny, did you read this? It makes no sense to me. No one dared to join them because they were a bit fearful of the church and yet the church continued to grow. And so there's this sort of, I'm going to think twice before I come to one of these meetings because you don't quite know what's going to happen and yet the church is growing and expanding and there was great grace upon them all. Now before we actually get into the passage, I just want to, as it were, by way of introduction... Um, answer one simple question. And that question I want to look at before we get into Acts chapter 4, and we look to unpack some of these things, because they're quite tricky things to get to grips with. Um, The question I want to ask is this, why be generous? Why be generous? And I'm going to answer that, um, well, I'm going to give four reasons why we should be generous. And the first reason I think as a church we should be generous is because God is generous. In Psalm 24 verse 1 it says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything we see, touch and feel around us, the very earth we walk on, the heavens and the stars is owned by him. The God we come to worship, the God we come to sing our songs to, and we exalt his name, he owns everything. It's all his. And as we read the Bible, and maybe even if you've only been a Christian for a short time, even as you look back over your shoulder at the last few months, what you'll come to realise is that the God we worship, the God we love, is a generous God. He owns it all, it's all his, but he is extremely generous with it. In Matthew 5, verse 45, it says this, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I guess in Jesus' day when he said this, um, they were an agricultural community, so sun and rain were a sign of real blessing from God. And what he's saying is, God just loves to bless people. And in our day, I think, I don't know whether it's the work that you're doing, or whether it's a family around you, or whether it's the health that you are enjoying. But I know for all of us, if we look just for a moment, we will see immense blessings on our lives. Don't you agree, church? Yeah? If we're born again, and you know I I encourage you, why don't you just pray out your prayers of thanksgiving to God? It shouldn't take us long to think of something to thank God for. Because he is so good. He's a generous God. We see it throughout history and we see it in the Bible. God is a giver. He is generous. And God's ultimate demonstration of giving is what? 
Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, it's sending his son. Let me read some great verses to you. I've been living in these verses or reading these verses a lot over the last few weeks. You may have even heard me pray them out at different times. But, but just hear them. Let the Holy Spirit come and uh, reveal stuff to you again. This is Romans 3, verses 21 to 25. But now a righteousness or now a gift from God has been made known to us. Something different, something changed when Jesus came. This righteousness, this gift from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely. Sorry. Don't want to sit in the front row this morning. You're justified freely by his grace. The grace of God. What is the grace of God? It's the undeserved favour and mercy of God. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The reason we come before God with great boldness isn't because we're worthy in ourselves but it's because we are worthy in Christ Jesus. We have been included in Christ. And Christ has dealt with your sin problem. The problem you've got with sin and rebellion in your hearts, that's been dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. And it says here, he dealt with it by the spilling of his blood. The hands that were nailed, were nailed because of your sin. The feet that were pierced, were pierced because of your sin. And Christ dealt with it on the cross as a free gift. Why? Because we have a generous Father in heaven who loves us and is for us and didn't spare any expense when it came to you and your salvation. Do you know nothing else would do? Only a perfect, spotless sacrifice. And the Father sent him to take your place, that you might receive salvation as a free gift. Not on the basis of any merit or any earning in ourselves, but on the merit of Jesus Christ. Why are we a generous people? Because we worship a generous God. Amen, church? That's the foundation. That's, that's the foundation. That's the very power. I can be generous because God has been generous to me. Secondly, the second reason that we can be generous is because we've received the Holy Spirit. You see, I think when you read those early accounts in Acts of their great generosity and Barnabas selling a field and all of that, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Just as the signs, wonders and miracles were empowered by the Holy Spirit and the great church growth was empowered by the Holy Spirit, so the amazing generosity and unity was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are recipients of that promise as well, aren't we? The promise is for all who believe in Jesus Christ. Not only those in the early church, but any who put their faith in Jesus Christ, you can receive the power, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And what's that for? Powerful living. It's boldness to witness to our friends, but it's also power to live lives that reflect Christ. And his glory. So the second reason we can be generous is we've received the Holy Spirit. The third reason we're to be generous is because the Bible clearly teaches it's an investment into eternity. As we are generous now, we are investing into eternity. Who would like to put their money and their possessions, their time into good sound investments? Put your hand up if you'd like to engage with that. Some of you, some of you are unpersuaded. I won't let you look after my money. But, what was I saying? Sound sound investment. Sound investment, yes. No, generally, don't we? We want to put, we want to, we want to invest into something that's sound. This is what Jesus said. I've changed a few of the words but hopefully it'll make it more relevant to us. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where stock markets crash and property drops in value or where houses are hit by floods and storms. 
but store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Jesus came with a challenge. He said, you can invest your money now into a place that is 100% guaranteed on return. And as you give your money, as you invest your possessions, as you are generous, you are affecting what eternity will be like for you. We're not talking about salvation. Salvation is a free gift for all who receive Jesus Christ by faith in his name. But the Bible is clear. How we spend our money, what we do with our possessions now, will affect eternity. And lastly, and really this is a bit we're going to major on for the rest of our time together, the reason we're generous is because the Bible is full of teaching that tells us to be generous. And being an evangelical church, which means we believe the Bible and we put it into practice, means we've got to take what the Bible teaches seriously and look to put it into practice in our lives. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 to 8 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So there's a bit of a challenge in there, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, how you sow now will affect what comes back to you. But here's something that's also very liberating. Each man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So it doesn't matter what your neighbour's doing, in that sense. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. You give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not because you feel your arms right up your back. You don't do that. It's not, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. But here comes a great promise. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So just by way of introduction, four simple reasons why we give generously. Because God is generous. Because we're a people filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we're investing into eternity. And because the Bible teaches us we should do. The Bible has a lot to say about money and possessions. And with the rest of the time we've got together, I want to communicate what it says. And we're going to start really in that passage of um, Acts chapter 4. Now as we look at this passage, I'm just going to ask you another question. And the question I'm going to ask you is this. Who do you most look like? Okay. So while I take a gulp of water, I just want you to mull this over for a bit. Who do I most look like? And as I'm, think, as, 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 sorry, as I'm thinking about it, as you're thinking about that, I'm not asking you, do you look like your mum or your dad? It's more to do with the Bible verses that we're going to look at. Who do you most look like? And we're going to answer that question under two sections. A great example, which is Barnabas, or a big warning, which is Ananias and Sapphira. So let's kick off with Barnabas. And we're also going to look for a few other Bible verses as well. Um, but it will be moving at a fair, a fair pace this morning. So who do you most look like? Well, let's start by looking a little bit at Barnabas. He is the uh, man we're focusing on through this series. And we find that Barnabas, he lived in Cyprus. He was uh, Jewish by birth. He owned um, a field probably in Cyprus, and it says that he sold the field and he put the full amount of money at the apostles' feet. In a sense, he gave it to the church that he was part of and said, use this money how you see fit. He left it to the church leadership's discretion. Very generous, isn't it? In the Old Testament, so the bit before Jesus came, the Bible taught that people were to um, tithe what grew in their fields. So if you have a look around this auditorium here, I want you to imagine that this is my field. It's about this size. And I've planted lots of corn in this field, and the corn grows. And when it comes to harvest time, 10% of the corn that I harvest in this field, I'm going to go and give to God. Actually, I'm to give the first 10% to God. So if I start, I guess, in this corner of the field... And I'm there, I won't have a combine harvest or anything like that. I'm cutting the corn down and it's being bundled up. The first 10% of the produce that I, I get, I'm to give to, 
to God. Give it to the priests, to the Levites, take it to the temple. It's my offering to God, the first 10%. Not the last 10% when I've harvested it all and I've sold it and I've given some to my family to eat and I've sold a bit because I need to buy toothpaste and some things like that as well. No, it's not the last 10% over in this corner, it's the first 10% over in that corner. But when we get to the New Testament, we find Barnabas isn't tithing, he isn't just giving the first 10%. What's he done? He sold the field. He sold the whole jolly field and given all the money and placed it. Can you see there's a stepping up? He's, 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 there's a stepping up. He's, he's sold the whole field and given the money to God. And it wasn't just Barnabas, was it? It wasn't just Barnabas as a one-off. He was a bit odd like that. He was rather generous. Oh, that Barnabas, he's, he's such a generous man. But actually we find, um, as we read through uh, the, the account in Acts, we see that from time to time, as there was need, people would sell land and properties and give the money to the apostles to distribute to those as they had need. Now, it wasn't everyone who had fields and everyone who had lands and properties sold them. But from time to time, as prompted by God, people would have done that. There was an amazing generosity. I think that's one of the things that stood out in Jerusalem. The early church was different. What is this generosity? So, so if we were to put it in today's context, we're talking thousands of pounds. Thousands of pounds was being given and laid and distributed as was needed. As I read Acts 4 verse 34, it says this. It wasn't just Barnabas. We find that the early church, this was fairly common. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas was an example of what was going on, not an exception in what was going on. What about other parts of the Bible? Have any of you ever heard of a man called Zacchaeus? I think most of us would have heard of a man called Zacchaeus, and we can read the story about him in Luke chapter 19. We won't turn to it because of time. But he was a very wealthy man. He was a tax collector. He was probably a little bit of a crook. Maybe used a bit of extortion as well to get a bit of extra money out of the local community. So he'd give some money to the Romans, but probably keep a bit back for himself. One day he meets with Jesus. And normally when you meet with Jesus, certainly in the Bible, when the the account's there, it normally results in changes occurring. Now we don't know what they spoke about. We don't know what Jesus was speaking to them about or what went on in the meal, other than some people felt that Jesus shouldn't have met with this man because he was such a sinner. But Jesus did meet with him. And the result of that meeting was that he gave half of his possessions away and if he cheated anyone out of any money, he paid them back four times the amount that they'd been cheated out of. Now, I've read this story so many times and to my head the figures still do not add up. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I can't work out. He gives half of his possessions away. After this encounter with Jesus. And I think that Jesus' words are very interesting. In verse 9, Jesus says this, Today, salvation has come to this house. We don't know whether Zacchaeus ever prayed a prayer of faith in Jesus Christ. But there was something in his actions that spoke louder than his words. And Jesus seemed confident to say, Today, salvation has come to this house, on the back of what Zacchaeus did with his money and possessions. A guy called Randy Alcorn, who wrote an excellent book called Money, Possessions and Eternity, said this, Jesus judged the reality of this man's salvation based on his willingness, no, his cheerfulness, no, sorry. Jesus judged the reality of this man's salvation based on his willingness, no, his cheerful eagerness to part with his money for the glory of God and for the good of others. It's very provoking. You know, if I, if I was having a chat with Zacchaeus, how would, I, how would I run it? Well, Zacchaeus, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent from your sins, and I won't touch money with you at the moment, although I don't think you should send the heavies around to extort money because it doesn't give the church a good name. 
You may be back off from that a little bit, but I'm sure God will deal with these things later in your life. He was so challenged by the encounter with Jesus that his repentance and faith in Christ led to immediate action in connection with his money. Maybe you're sat here saying, well, okay, I can see in the early church money was key. I can see with rich people money was key. So if any of you are rich, yep, you have been duly duly challenged, but I'm poor. What does the Bible say about if you haven't got very much? Well, there's another account that we're told about with Jesus. And this is an account where Jesus is watching what people are putting in the offering. Can you imagine that? You know, like sometimes when we have a gift day and we have the buckets at the front and we all come forward and we put our checks in, it seems to me that Jesus was stood about here, just looking in. And actually he was close enough to be able to open the cheque or undo the envelope. And, oh, oh, well done, Dave and Claire, Kevin, well done, Marguerite. He, he, he could see because he comments on what they're giving to his disciples. And we see a widow who comes and it says she put in her last two copper coins into the offering. As it were, she gives her last £10 note. She's got no food in her cupboards. She doesn't know how she's going to survive until the end of the week. She's not due any more money now until next Friday. She puts her last £10 in the offering. Can you imagine? I was thinking about this. If someone came and asked me today, someone came up to me today and said, look, Paul, I've got £10 left, but I really feel God telling me to put it in the offering. I've got no food left in my cupboards. What do you think I should do? I think my counsel to her would be, put the £10 back in your pocket, come and see me at the end and we'll see if we can help you out um, and provide food for you for the rest of the week. But Jesus doesn't say that. He commends this woman for her amazing generosity. And he says, actually, she has given far more than all the rich people who have put in out of their wealth. She has given out of her little, and it is amazing. And I'm not looking here to make a pastoral point as to what you should do, whether you should give your last money or not. I'm not saying that, but what I want to say is, whether you are rich or whether you are poor, God is interested in the heart when it comes to our money. Are we fully devoted to him? The Bible talks about a small army of God's people who are faithfully given to God time and time again. I believe the Bible has a lot to say about money because it reveals the true nature of what is happening in the heart. And God is very interested in our hearts. Money and possessions more than anything else reveal whether we're living lives of faith and obedience to Christ. Now, what about warnings? Well, let's have a quick look at Ananias and Sapphira. I find this passage quite challenging because I think they did pretty well. You know, they sold a piece of property. Imagine it, you you sell a piece of property, they get £30,000 for this piece of property, and they they, they come and they say to to me and Matt, here, there's £15,000. You know, again, what would be my reaction to to that? You know, oof. Brilliant, well done. We, you know, we can really use this for the extension of God's kingdom. Where did they go wrong? Because they clearly did go wrong, because the Bible says they did. Well, I think there are some clues in the text, and we'll just briefly look at, look at them. I think the first thing you notice from the text is that I think Ananias and Sapphira were more interested in other people than they were in God. And I think they were quite keen to impress. They were quite keen to give a good show for themselves. They weren't living with an audience of one. But they had their eyes more on the people around them than they did on what God was doing. I think secondly, I think they gave the impression of giving everything while keeping some back for themselves. And then as Peter said, it's not a problem. The field was yours to start with. You could have kept it all. But but they were, they, actually it says they lied to the Holy Spirit and to the church about what was going on. And we know that the uh, consequences of their actions ran very deep. Peter says, doesn't it, they lied to the Holy Spirit. 
They resisted his directing to the point of lying to the church. Now, I know that, I know for myself, I can often feel quite challenged in talks like this. I find, I can often walk into somewhere like this and I think, you know, I'm I'm giving pretty generously, I'm giving over 10%, that's going pretty well. I'm not in serious debt. I'm I'm modest with how I'm using my money. When it comes to gift days, I give pretty generously. I think I'm pretty sorted. I can't imagine God's going to have much to say to me. But I find often God does say stuff to me. And God does do work in my heart. And God sort of slowly, sort of turns, as it were, turns the cogs and sort of says, Paul, so are you going to obey or not? But, but God, this money was... Paul, are you, are you going to or not? And I, I wonder if that's how it worked with Ananias and Sapphira. They knew the Holy Spirit was prompting them. But they, they not only resisted what the Holy Spirit said, but then they, they lied to the church as well. Yes, we're giving everything, but no, we're holding it back. And again, it's, again, it's not a pastoral thing as in, you, you must give everything. But I think it's, remember, as we, as we give our money, as we worship God, as we live for his glory, let, let's do it with a view of him, with an audience of one. And for, for some, you know, you, you won't be prompted to change your giving at all from this morning. That's fine, because God's not, God's not opening that up for you. He's not, he's not prompting you to do that. That's fine. For others of you, he will be. So it's not important what what others around you are doing. It's, in a sense, it's worship to God and how we respond to him. And we also need to note that this was a season of incredible grace and power. The church was living in a season, I wouldn't have said a revival, but I imagine what revival would be like if we were to experience it. And I, I often pray for revival. We must remember as we pray for revival, everything goes up in intensity. Yes, we see more signs, wonders and miracles. Yes, we see more people swept into the kingdom. But often there is also a, a, a dreadful weight of God's glory and a conviction of sin. It all comes with the package as God turns up in power because we worship an awesome, awesome God. Are there any other warnings from Scripture? And I just want to touch on two. Again, I find them very, very provoking. The first one is in Luke chapter 12 verses 13 to 21, and, and this is titled in the NIV Bible, The Rich Fool. Poor guy. It's actually a parable, and it tells the story of a farmer, and he has really good soil on his farm. All the farms around don't have such good soil as this farmer has. And when he plants his, his seed, it grows better, and it grows higher, and it's more fruitful than any of the farmers around him, not because he does anything better than anyone else, just because he has good soil. He gets a better harvest than everyone else. And, and I guess as a good businessman would say, he doesn't have enough room for all of his corn and all of his grain and all of the harvest. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to build some bigger barns to store it all. And his plan is to get rich. Get rich and take things easy. I'm going to store stuff up for myself for the future, so when I'm a bit older, when I'm a bit more near retirement, I can take things easy. He said to himself, you will have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds quite good to me. But God has a different plan. And that night the man dies and he never gets to enjoy all the luxuries that he's stored up for himself. And Jesus finishes with this very sombre warning. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And again, I don't think Jesus or the Bible are trying to make any judgment call on on possessions or nice holidays or anything like that. It's, It's not about that, but it's Are you as rich towards God as you are rich towards yourself? That's how it will be for anyone who stores stores things up for himself but is not rich towards God. The next one I want to look at is the account of the rich young ruler in Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. 
this high flyer comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to get saved? Imagine that. This up and coming young, uh, maybe a young politician, he's absolutely minted, he walks into this building. And he comes up to one of you at the end of the meeting and says, I've been so challenged, so convicted through the meeting, what must I do to get saved? What would you say? Well, we've already sort of touched on that a little bit already, haven't we? It's safe to say Jesus doesn't say what we probably would have said. You know, this guy's he, he wants to know about God. He wants to become a Christian. This is great. We could, you know, next week we could be saying, this great, you know, this great young politician who's minted just became a Christian. You know, we, we could stand up and we can all chap and clear, cheer and say, yeah, hey. But what does Jesus say to him? He says, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's challenging, isn't it? You know, because if he was, became a Christian and stuff, we probably wouldn't talk about money with him for at least 12 months, would we? Do you know what I mean? You've got to take it easy. Jesus goes straight in. And he wasn't joking. It wasn't like he said, as he turned, you know, because it says this man turned around and despondently walked away. And it wasn't Jesus shouted after him, just joking! You just have to put your trust in me. He didn't, did he? He let him walk away. He was sad because he was a wealthy man. Another quote by uh, Randy Alcorn. If Christ is not Lord over a person's money and possessions, then he is simply not that person's Lord. The uncomfortable fact is that how we use our money reflects on what is happening in our hearts. Another quote. A study of Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler, the poor widow, the rich fool, and many other biblical passages raises many questions but answers many more. We come to understand that our perspective on and handling of money is a litmus test of our true character. Who do you most look like? As we close, and I'm going to look to wrap it up, but maybe earth it down a little bit, who do you most look like? From all the different people that we've looked at, just very briefly, who is it you most look like? Did you know, and I'm going I'm to say something now that you're going to, you're going to dispute with me. I expect, I expect a fervent dispute here. Do you know that God has entrusted you, all of you, with thousands of pounds. Did you know that? He's entrusted you with thousands and thousands of pounds. I would imagine even the poorest among us here today, over a lifetime, will be entrusted with something close to a quarter of a million pounds. The wealthier of us could be entrusted with up to two and a half million pounds for our lifetime, conservatively. If you would ask me and Chloe, do we have any money today? No. (laughs) Like many of you, Christmas took its toll and the cupboards look a little bare at present, but they will recover. But if I were to gauge it over a lifetime, has God blessed me with money and finance? Yes, he has. Actually, for all of us, we could say God's blessed us with great wealth in comparison to many in the world. God has entrusted us with thousands. There may not be much in your bank account at present, but God looks over a lifetime. He won't be looking on Sunday the 31st of January what's there. He'll look at, how much have I given you over a lifetime? I guess God's looking for a long-term investment from us. Now I can put up with quite I can put quite a number of reasons up as to why I can't give at the moment. But I think they're probably fairly flimsy. They may ease our consciences for a week, two weeks, maybe they ease our conscience every time we hear a preach like this. 
but I don't think they're going to stand the test of time. How are you spending your thousands? Do you need to make an adjustment in your lifestyle so that you can give your first to God, not your last? Are you someone that, and and I thank you for your generosity and your giving, but are you someone that actually, the reality of it is you look at the end of the month to see what's left and then decide what you can give? Or do you actually say, no, I'm going to give my first and my best to God? Because he is a generous God. And he deserves my best. I know these words are challenging. But I also know that there are hundreds of you here today who have put this principle into operation for decades and decades and decades. And that's why the church is like it is. That's why we're in a building like we are. That's why we were able to run Kids Club for seven years and release someone full time to do it. It costs £50,000 a year to run Kids Club. And the reason we could do it? Because you put that principle in your life year after year after year. And you gave exceptionally and you gave generously. And I want to thank you for it. There's those who have come in more recently who haven't given very much at all so far. That's all right. But I want you to know the reason you're able to enjoy so many benefits now is because others have given so generously before you sacrificially, gone without holidays at certain times, gone without other things. Why? Because they're committed to giving to God. First to God, and secondly, to the church. And I want to thank you for that. Barnabas was a man who made decisions about money and possessions early. We see it. The first time we see Barnabas, he's making big, hard decisions about his possessions. But as we follow the story of Barnabas, we see that God mightily, mightily uses him. Time and time and time again, God promotes him in his purposes. And I wonder if one of the reasons is because God dealt with the issue of money and possessions early. He got it sorted early and God said, I can trust you. You're faithful with a little money and possessions, now I'm going to give you a lot. I want to ask you, what's God saying to you this morning? Anthony touched on these verses when he brought his word at the end of the worship. And I want to use these verses as well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What I'm talking about today is renewing your mind. It may be offensive to some of you, And hopefully I've not brought it in an offensive way. I just want to communicate what the Bible says and let the Holy Spirit does its work. But this is God renewing your minds through the Word. And he says it comes with a promise. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing and his perfect will. It comes on the back of sacrifice. It comes on the back of having our minds renewed and transformed. What do you need to do on the back of this morning? In some ways, it would be lovely to finish with a song this morning. You know, let's sing a song. But I think, I think that, doesn't just, that doesn't cut the mustard. Sometimes it's good to sing a song. But I think our act of worship on the back of this morning is for us just to prayerfully consider. The life app that I've put in the notes is actually some life app is just for you as individuals or as couples to get your bank statements out, get your Bibles open and see. Read, read these Bible verses about it and let the word of God speak to you. Then look to see where you spend your money. Do they tie up or do you need to make adjustments? On the information desk this morning, I've asked to make sure there's some practical stuff there to help you. If you're not giving to the church at the moment, you may want to start that this morning. You can go over there and find out all the information you need to know about giving. Others of you just want to let it settle for a bit. That's fine. Do that. But don't forget. Don't forget what God is speaking to you now about. On the 7th of March, this church has got a gift day. And we're asking God for £40,000. It's a big ask. I ask you to prayerfully consider how you can get involved in that. Some of you here today, as I'm talking on money, 
would be saying, it's all very well for you, Paul, but I am in debt and I don't know how to sort my money problems out. If that is you, come and see me at the end because we've got some people who can help you sort out your finances, give you a bit of advice, that may be what is needed. And we want to be sensitive to that as well. Sometimes practical things need to be adjusted too and you can need some help. So we're very happy to point you in a helpful direction. Let's stand and we'll finish in prayer. Let's just raise our hands. We'll uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come. Lord, I thank you. You are the encourager. And as we've seen earlier in this series, encouragement isn't always a sort of a there, there, everything is great. Sometimes the encourager can be a bit more prodding us along, urging us. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and do your work this morning? You know our individual situations. You're sensitive to them. I pray where encouragement is needed, would you encourage? Where affirmation is needed and a well done for your generosity and your giving. I pray even now that that people would feel a sense of that in their hearts and know the encouragement of God. I pray if for others they've not yet engaged with giving of money and possessions to you. I pray for a gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit and a prompting to change. From the youngest through to the oldest, from those with with a lot to those with very little, we say, Lord God, as a church, we want to put you first in every area of our lives. We thank you for your immense generosity to us. And we know, Lord, even even with the money we give, it is only a small reflection of your outstanding generosity to us. Lord, we say, come and have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. I pray as we go, would you mightily bless us this week in all we do. Lord, I pray for those who are gathering on Alpha on Tuesday, would you bless them? Would you reveal yourself to them, we pray. Have your way in all that we do, we pray that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. Excellent. Young people, just as you're going, I started giving when I had a part-time job. I think I probably even gave when I was getting pocket money. I'd encourage you, start getting doing that now. Because as God trusts you with more, you'll find it much easier to step up in increments. Because God won't let you go on this. He'll be after you. So I'd encourage you, young people, if you get pocket money, if you've got a part-time job, make the most of it and give generously to God. It's a good habit to get into. Thank you so much, church. And um, we will... And And I'll see some of you this evening.